Welcome to Mothering, a podcast that explores Indian mothering through true stories. I am Veena Hari, a mental health professional, a feminist, a mother, and founder of Bhavati Foundation, a not-for-profit that works on reproductive mental health. There are so many things I wish someone told me before I became a mother. But the true mothering stories of Indian women are rare and hard to find. This podcast hopes to bring these stories together. We ask some uncomfortable questions about the way things are around mothering today and find some unexpected answers to the rich and varied lived experiences of our guests. So grab a steaming cup of your favorite beverage and get comfortable for this heart-to-heart to find awe, joy and some tears in these true stories. I hope you find the story you need to hear. Have you ever wrestled with the question of whether or not you are ready to be a parent? As a woman, we carry the possibility of a thousand lives within our body. But this biological possibility of being able to birth a child comes with the baggage of the assumption that you want to be a mother. Today, we begin this series of explorations on mothering, starting with the decision to be one. In today's episode, we talk to Amrita Purikaist, a fierce feminist and author of Everyday Revolutions. I invited her to talk about her dilemma around the decision to have a child or not, but she generously brought in so much more to the conversation, ranging from her journey with the research for her book, her feminism, the lessons she has learned about her privilege and how they have shaped her work, and the lens with which she sees her own mother. I got very emotional during this conversation and the vulnerability she brought in moved me and showed me a whole other side to her. So without further ado, let's get into this lovely conversation. Welcome to the show, Amrita. Thank you so much for being with us today. How are you doing? Very well. Very well. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Glad. Okay, so I'll just quickly give uh, our audiences an introduction about you. Uh, and then I also want to tell them about how we met. So, Amrita Purkayas is a 33-year-old married woman who is kind of ambiguous about the decision of whether or not to have kids. Uh, during her day job, she's a marketing leader with over 11 years of corporate experience across Infosys, Godrej, and Z. And uh, she just says that she spends a lot of time making presentations and Excel sheets. <laughs> over the weekends, she transforms into a feminist researcher and she spends a lot of time watching reels and sharing memes. Uh, Amrita's book, Everyday Revolutions, is going to hit uh, the markets by the end of the year in 2021. So we are all really eagerly looking forward to that. And uh, really looking forward to talking to you about this entire issue today. Uh, so before we go into how you found feminism and into that journey, uh, I want to talk a little bit about how we found each other. <laughs> because they always say it's harder to find friends once you cross your 30s. And I think um, I met you very happenstance with uh, you asking for somebody to contribute to your book. Uh, and me being a mental health professional, I was kind of you know interested in the theme of your book. But anyway, that's the formal part. The informal part is that we had this uh, first meeting slash blind date. <laughs> yeah, I remember very nervously looking around. And I saw you sitting in yeah. social, we yes. literally social. And the planned, uh, we planned the one hour meeting and it went on for <laughs> three hours. When we over-ordered and over-ate yeah. and over-drank. And... And yeah, we also hiked a really long yeah. distance to find a loo in some corner. And we got like totally ranting about how impossible it is with loos. And I mean, that's a topic for a whole other episode. But yeah, yeah so I absolutely, um, if I may say so, fell in love with the feminist that you are. And with your ideas, with all the discussions we've been having about your book. And it just made sense to have you as the first guest uh, as I start on this. So thank you so much for uh, being on here. Likewise, Veena, likewise. I think uh, over the last many months, we have only had the opportunity to know each other more. And, um, you know, oftentimes when you know the other person a little more, you start possibly finding out the what's and the 
you know, the things that you're not quite okay with. But I think with us, it's been completely the opposite. The more we have talked, the more we have chatted, we have sort of found common ground, common experiences, and it's it's been a riot. So, so glad to be part of the first episode. And I hope that we had have a equally uh, amazing conversation <laughs> like we always do. Okay. So, just was interested in having everyone know about initially your journey into feminism, how you found it, and what it's been like, what's kind of inspired you uh, to write this book in the first place. Yeah, you know, uh, I'm asked this a lot, especially by uh, people around me, because I'm literally calling my book uh, Everyday Revolution and Finding uh, Clarity, Conviction, and Joy. Uh, through feminism, so uh, feminism as a phenomena, as an ideology, as a as an uh, as a whole, uh, uh, you know, series of uh, waves that we have seen, its history, the everything that it has done for uh, you know over centuries. Uh, I'm often asked that what uh, what actually triggered it for me. I often ask them back that you know one shouldn't be asked that why you're a feminist, but the other way around that why aren't you not. Because isn't it so obvious that, uh, isn't it glaringly evident to all of us that there is a huge gender problem in the world? The whole world is, uh, uh, you know, uh, experiences this. Uh, everybody experiences their gender. Uh, women experience their lives in a different way, in an uh, in a disadvantaged way, in many different ways. And uh, I think everybody should be a feminist, like the cliche goes. But uh, I think particularly uh, one of the transformative experiences of my life has been my elder sister's wedding. And I think wedding, motherhood, <laughs> some of these social uh, constructs are, you know, the points in our life when we see patriarchy very up close. So my journey started from there, where suddenly from a safe, ungendered world, I started seeing that how different it is. Uh, for men and women in this world, uh, starting from the equation of ladke wale, ladki wale, and so on and so forth, and uh, fairly innocuous, but very, very deep-rooted. And, uh, well, I started self-educating myself, uh, and I I sort of found this whole new world of solidarity and friendships and connections that I found fellow feminists, fellow authors uh, who write about this, and I think it opened up a whole new world and gave me an opportunity to see the world in a different way. So, yeah. That's wow, been my thank you so much about that. I was also curious to hear about uh, the 100 women you interviewed and how that process was like for you. So, I started this rather uh, ambitious journey uh, four years back. Uh, I, I, I was very clear that I don't want to write another book with theories, with uh, you know, whatever I know, because I knew right from the day one, I got introduced to feminism, I got introduced to the privilege that I had, you know, and I slowly actually uh, started unpacking the privilege I lived with. I am an upper caste woman, I am uh, middle class, I uh, have no disability uh, in the sense, and there are many, you know, uh, types of privileges that I enjoy, and I have slowly and steadily started unpacking them and it was very clear to me from the day that I decided to write the book that I need to be talking to other women uh, trying to unpack and understand their experiences their uh, perspectives and I always wanted to do that so I started doing that I went actively out of my echo chambers I met my cousins friends friends colleague my uh, you know uh, uh, the the, uh, maid who works uh, for me uh, her kids, her friend circle. I traveled to London. I got connected to feminist groups in Romania, in uh, say Switzerland. And there was this whole uh, research trip I went I went to in the UK and Switzerland and uh, uh, and Romania for a bit. So all of this put together, it's been one enriching journey of not just uh, meeting other women, but hearing stories. Uh, uh, you know, hearing anecdotes, perspectives, and life stories. And it's been just many years of connecting with random women and becoming friends, you know. So, uh, and it, and there's nothing like that. There is nothing like striking a friendship with someone who have had a similar experience who can so uniquely make you feel less alone in their own way and without having to do anything. By simply being and sharing that experience, they can make you feel a little less alone and a little less yeah. crazy, actually. <laughs> 
been my journey of researching and uh, meeting 100 women amazing women. i cannot tell you how excited i am about your book from everything that i've heard about it i uh, cannot wait to have it in my hands uh, and you know uh, read it so okay so we're here today to talk about a very um, special issue it's special for me uh, and i know that it's something that you've been yeah. thinking about a lot and we've had these conversations uh, we're basically trying to figure out what is the process today that women follow to make this decision of you know uh, having a child or not having a child so um to just begin with what what is motherhood for you and what is your stance on that uh, i don't uh, quite know how to respond to that but when i think of mothers and motherhood i think of my mother and she has been the quintessential templatized mother if i might say so she is uh, the perfect mother she has always been so and she's somebody who has taken on that templatized version very very seriously for all her life uh, she's somebody who had had a very very demanding government job but still the kids were entirely her responsibility uh, she was somebody who uh, who seemed extremely tireless and extremely uh you know superhuman in her ability to take on load and burden emotional physical for her family and i've grown up with that template you know i've grown up with knowing motherhood as this self sacrificial unselfish role that you continue to play all your life and i'm quite embarrassed to actually claim that i have been quite blind to it uh, i have known it i have taken a lot of advantage of it i think all my life i have taken my mom's sacrifices uh, for granted till i started seeing that more visibly and started to question some of those things started to unpack some of those things uh, as i uh, you know had a, as i started to sort of think on my own etc uh, but yeah for me that's the template and uh, i really don't have any other template i have very few uh, alternate templates of mothers and motherhood uh, motherhood journeys i've only seen mothers who are all in all 100% in into the role despite their jobs despite anything else this becomes their priority this is them whole and soul so i've seen that and that's that's really what is what is uh, what i have as a concept for right. this role and i know that's that's you said it so well uh the entire thing about not having an alternative template right i think that was one of the things that has motivated me to have this podcast because there's just so little uh in terms of you know there's so much said about mothers about how mothers should be it's so pedestalized but yeah. there's very very less said by mothers you know that this is my story and this is how it is and even when it is said we have some spaces now and you know we do hear some chatter around it there is so much censor on it. there's so much pressure on what you can and cannot say as a mother but some things are like completely yeah. taboo you cannot say that right so uh, absolutely so just kind of you know going into the next question so if i have to ask you right now where where are you today about becoming a mother and how do you feel about becoming a mother at some point see uh, like you said i'm ambiguous about it i have not shut the door on it yet uh i have i am assuming 6 to 7 more years of reproductive years of my life uh i uh i have a paralyzing fear of uh making an irreversible permanent decision like being a, becoming a mother and uh, possibly regretting it and i also have a similar paralyzing fear of regretting not uh making this life choice so uh either ways i am 100% sure that i am going to regret <laughs> this in a couple of years and that's that's the burden we carry right uh, whatever decision we make we are going to regret this at some point in some way it's only we have to make a decision what form of misery do we like which form will we be okay with what kind of regrets can we live with and that's really what i am bracing myself for uh these are some 
I'm going to spend the next four five years, I guess, in this ambiguity, or maybe make a decision uh, and change my life entirely. But currently, if you ask me, I'm leaning towards being child free because currently I don't feel the need to. I don't uh, feel that there is uh, there is anything missing in my life. I wouldn't go to a party which people tell me I'll enjoy more than you know. I'm leaving the party that I'm enjoying right now. You know, there's a saying that you know, leave a leave a party where you're having fun to go to another party where people are saying that you'll have more fun i i am enjoying my party right now i am lounging around i am having an okay life i guess and uh, i don't want to sort of right right thank you so much for that so um, you know uh, there's a term and i'm reading this really interesting book uh, regarding choices about motherhood and there's a term uh, which is called uh, being a fence sitter so do you think you're something like that where so the concept is a little bit of you know uh, just tell kind of tell the audiences where you currently have not yet decided either or you are in some way delaying the decision uh, so that at some point it, the decision makes itself for you because you know the time is kind of run out so that's the definition of yeah. it do you identify with that i am absolutely i at this moment will have like 30 uh, items in my nike cart which i'm yet undecided on so i am that kind of a person i need to know i have a 30 day return policy this is why i would buy it this is better that is better i need to make a decision after everything and and one thing that i have uh, learned in my life is that don't do anything unless you're sure or unless uh, you know uh, the answer is a very very strong yes don't do it and i guess i am a fence sitter i am i'm absolutely a fence sitter but like i said it comes with its own baggage it comes with an assumption that i am immature i don't know better i will grow into a better decision uh, there are many many connotations to being a fence sitter no it's 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 not as innocuous there is there are presumptions uh, presumptions of uh, not knowing better being uh, you know uh, being immature being not knowing better not mature enough to make a life decision uh being selfish in uh, in in you that's my favorite that. so the minute you say you're uh, going to have a not sure about having a kid or that you know you don't want to have a kid but i mean it's it's so ridiculous because uh, you know again as i was digging more into it i realized that actually having a kid is so egoistic right it's so much of wanting to see another you it's so much of your desires your feelings kind of you know it's so much of repeating that and passing that on right so yeah absolutely so another question i had uh, for you is about whether you felt like you had enough space to question this need to have a child did you find you had enough kind of you know space in your life to do this so contraception they don't have access to even knowing that they uh, are allowed to make this decision on their own uh and i think in that sense i have had the space there has been uh, uh you know there has been manageable level of pressure i would say uh and i i would say that i have had the space primarily because i am 33 and child free and that's a, that's that i think is uh, revolutionary in many ways while uh, you know uh, that has its own burden uh, but in my sense in that sense i would say that uh, this this space comes with a lot of burden you know this is i must say one of the biggest uh, decisions of my life and uh, i am most unsure of making it i have not been so confused about anything in life i had uh, you know whatever i was told by the conventions of the society ki 10th karna hai 12th karna hai engineering mba job you know i have sort of followed a template all my life i must say i am very conventional i have always been a people pleaser you know it's embarrassing but i i i like validation i like people i would want people to like me i would want my parents to be proud of me and there is this paralyzing fear in me that i'm disappointing my parents because i'm not living up to their expectation of you know having the child by a certain age so i that space that comes uh, with the privilege that i have is still burden you know it is not i wouldn't say it's easy and i can imagine it isn't easy for thousands and millions of women in a similar age in a similar space despite having you know the privilege 
of the space that the class and the education and the work experience offers you to be this way. Uh, I think it still comes with a lot of mental burden. And uh, I must say that uh, it is at this point one of the most uh, you know, troubling uh, life decisions and troubling thoughts in my mind as to what Right. And thank you so much for bringing up pressure because I was just about to, you know, and I was wondering about that because that's something that uh, I'm really curious about in terms of feeling the pressure to make this decision, not just, not just to make a decision, but to make the decision, feeling a decision, which is, yeah, yeah. You know, and I mean, we'll just come in a minute about uh, the proto-natalism in our society and what that means and how that plays out. But in terms of, if you have to like now separate between personal and social, right? Because there are two layers to this pressure as I understand it. So uh, you mind taking us through how that's been and, you know, how have you responded, managed it? So I've had an arc, you know, this uh, started right after a couple of years of marriage, whatever is decent. Otherwise, actually, people start asking women in a month of their marriage. So uh, whatever, uh, uh, you know, my this these conversations in my life started about year, year and a half into my marriage. Uh, these almost always get amplified around family functions, marriages, pujas, jagratas and all of that. And I love these, you know, I love all the celebrations. I love going to puja uh, in Baroda. We have this huge Adda group and all of that. But, you know, some of these questions and discussions have really been very unpleasant. I must be honest. And I've had an arc of starting off being angry, starting off being uh, revolting, being sarcastic, being snide. Uh, being outrightly, uh, uh, you know, uh, impolite uh, because I had to defend my personal space uh, in many of these conversations. But at this point, I must say that uh, I'm fairly numb to these questions. I I found that uh, these questions are fairly tireless. Even if you get tired after a point, these questions are hard. The people who ask you these questions hardly get tired because uh, because it's somehow it feels like me telling them that I'm not interested or I'm not thinking of this or I may decide to not have a child at all in my life. They, they assume that it is a questioning of their way of life. You know, it, 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 it is somehow I'm attacking their life choices, you know. And it's, it's like if you are a vegetarian and I'm a non-vegetarian and you would, you would almost feel attacked by me being a non-vegetarian because but this is just my life choice and people just don't take that people just don't allow that width and those and that space to women to make their choice on their own and they almost feel attacked by you know somebody deciding to not follow this convention and uh, i have taken i have seen people relatives cousins neighbors all these people take it rather personally that i am wanting to make this decision on my own and I'm wanting to take my time, decide on my own as a personal attack to them. I've seen that happen. So there's a lot of social pressure, uh, which eventually translates into a lot of personal pressure, a lot of inner conflict, I would say, a lot of uh, doubts, confusions, because you know we cannot isolate ourselves from these, especially when this comes from people you love, people you have grown up with, people you respect, people you want, to see happy, it gets very difficult to separate the social and the personal. Right, right. That's so true. And I, so you know, so the thing you said about attacking their way of life, uh, I, I think I read a very beautiful sentence somewhere that uh, when so there was there was an author who was talking about his decision to not have kids, and he said that I don't understand why people take my refusal to have a baby as a personal rejection of their baby. It's, it's a rejection of a notional baby. Not I'm not rejecting your child. I'm not saying your child is, you know, uh, not worth having, you know. And I think that's very hard to separate as, you know, someone. Uh, so, you know, I just want to quickly share my experience also here because I can relate to this so much. Uh, so, I'm a mother of a three-year-old, okay. And, um, I mean, we'll go on a whole other episode into how that happened. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So it was pretty much, um, you know, it, it happened. <laughs> so, <laughs> so the part where, you know, uh, even after having a kid, okay, and even 
after having like in our society um, so i was reading about this again and there's there's being two kinds of childless and i'm specifically speaking about childless as in the women who want to have children one is the women who that doesn't have a child at all and there is another special kind of childless which is a woman who has only daughters okay yeah. and uh, so essentially when you have a child and he's a male which in my case so happens that he's a male you know there is some pressure of if the first one's a female there's always this pressure to have another one so in any case i have a son and even then um, even before he could turn one year old the pressure was mounting for a second okay and i remember this conversation so distinctly with somebody close to me a close relative uh, and so you know i was expressing uh, you know i'm not sure if i want to have a second it was just voicing my opinion you know i was on that kind of you know fence i mean i'm still not like completely you know on either side so i was like yeah i'm not sure about it so my relative went on to console me and she's like don't worry you're going to be a wonderful mom and everything i was like no 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 i am a wonderful mom i have no doubt about that i'm not questioning if i can do it i'm questioning if i want to do it and it was so amazing for me because there is just barely no distinction between the two about wanting it and you know questioning your ability it's not that i think i'm not capable of it you know so i just wanted to also yeah that's so uh true uh so this assumption really is that if you can you must want you <laughs> if you don't want it there is some medical problem there is some problem with you so if you or the marriage is not okay yeah yeah exactly your body is okay your marriage is okay if you can you should and you must it's it's completely non negotiable that if you can't if you can and you still don't want it it's just yeah, that right and so that brings me to this entire concept of protonatalism right and it's so ingrained that i don't think that i even knew the term for it for the longest time i just it's just a way of life right anything that happens uh, marriage is not working out bacha kar lo uh, you know a husband and wife are not getting along or you know there is some kind of responsibility issue have a kid for everything ek hi solution that is have a kid right and what was amazing to me is that it takes on religious favor flavors okay so you know we have these uh, hindu leaders who are talking about you know have four kids have five kids uh, as a you know comeback <laughs> to or to maintain majority then it takes a nationalist flavor where you're like you know you have to serve your country and the way you serve your country is by having this child uh, in terms of religious there is also of course if you're a hindu that's your dharm you know and that's how you kind of play your role your scheduled whatever you know kind of thing so there is just so much um conditioning at every level yeah. right and to be honest when i think about uh, this decision so for forever i've always felt like i wanted to be a mother i've never had this conflict okay but after having my first child for the second i did you know and i still have a little bit of that back and forth and that questioning made me realize that how hard it is to tell the difference between what if it was innate and what if it is like socially engineered and it's kind of gotten all mixed you know so the entire concept of technology of self where we kind of you know prime ourselves to want things that we're supposed to want you know and it's so amazing that while you question it so much of it kind of comes out right? absolutely absolutely so i'm just curious to know is there any absurd response you've gotten when you've talked about you know questioning to be a mother anything that comes to mind that's funny or you know you can't believe someone said that I had a neighbor auntie who actually told me right after 6 months of my marriage that tawa garam hai omelet bana lo and uh, which basically meant that till the spark is alive in your marriage which apparently only lasts for a year year and a half you rather plan a baby because uske baad you know tawa thanda ho jata hai i was wow. some other connotation or it is a metaphor for something else but this is primarily what she was trying to say and it was hilarious at that point but you know it's quite sad in retrospect because she was uh, a distant neighbor uh, she didn't know my life journey she didn't know me uh, i had gone there for a very formal uh, puja just sort of uh, tagging along with my parents and in hindsight i felt sort of violated with that kind of a breach of my personal space with an auntie who had hardly ever connected with me on anything else in my life you know she uh, is not somebody who would have sort of discussed my career in the past or my education or anything else but she found it absolutely okay and comfortable to discuss something so private and so intimate and 
that's the thing with childbearing and this whole uh, you know being a mother kind of a thing that everybody feels like they uh you know they are entitled to their opinion they're entitled to an advice to you they're entitled to uh, tell you what's good for you and that's that's really sad and that's really annoying to me to be honest yeah yeah i can relate to that frustration uh, i think i first felt that when i was pregnant and i think the minute you are pregnant you somehow become society property you know because there is now this notion that you're now in this larger you know thing and we have a right to tell you yeah, yeah. what you should and should not do yeah, and yeah. how you should do it so yeah absolutely a lot around that yeah. another group of people who are party to this you know entire proto natalist culture is a medical fraternity mm. do you have any experiences with uh, any of your uh... Uh, not really not really and thankfully so because we would assume a professional uh, like a doctor or a gynecologist to give an impartial scientific view into things but from my research veena and i have spent a lot of time sort of uh, breaking this myth of being pregnant by 30 because i personally had only heard of this that you must have a kid by 30 or else there are health problems there are different random other facts just kept getting thrown at so i did a lot of research as to the validity of one's reproductive health the biological clock that many people talk about and quote and uh, actually i found a lot of very very reliable research that tells you that the biological clock is a myth it is a myth propagated by in a in a series of different ways by campaigns by uh, you know uh, patriarchal means uh, in very different forms and shapes because the average uh, reproductive probability of women aged 27 and 38 only differ by 2 to 4%. So your chances of getting pregnant at a 27 and your chances of getting pregnant at a 38 39 only differ by 4% and there is wide scale research done on healthy women across many ethnicities many countries and i would assume and i i know many many gynecs i've heard from friends i've heard from many sources and i'm generally uh, a person who google stuff and consume a lot of random content to be honest but uh, i was fully convinced that if i don't have my baby sonogram by 30 i'm going to be late i'm going to be missing the bus uh, you know that's that's really the milestone i had in my mind but i have learned over the last many years that that's just untrue you you have uh, ample uh, medically you have ample time to make that decision do not hurry yourself into it uh, please read get to know medical professionals who are not uh, biased or who are not completely influenced by some of these uh, you know traditional ways of a uh, biological clock or uh, you know uh, these kind of uh, suggestions that they make to uh, patients which are quite uh, different from what research and science tells you so i have come to a uh, come to a conclusion that i'm going to make a very very detailed thorough background check of the gynac that i'm going to go to if at all i decide to because i think that's a very important relationship and uh, I think I would I would spend a lot of time deciding that as well, just like what I do with my Nike card or Mintra card. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, and yeah, I so agree with that. So you know, this entire concept about gynax adding the pressure, uh, I have seen it happen where parents or even the others who are pressuring a woman to have a child will often use uh, the medical fraternity as a way to validate that pressure. Mm. so it has become part of the larger cultural thing because uh, and so now the whole other complex factor that gets added nowadays is the increased occurrence of pcod obesity yeah, yeah. Yes, right and that is such a threat i remember at the age of 22 23 when i was uh, diagnosed with it and you know my gynec at that time i was not even married marriage was not on the horizon kind of suggested to my mom that you ensure she gets married and you know has a kid soon and the thing is that even one gynac like that and one person saying that can be such a pressure point for a parent yeah uh, or you know even even for somebody who's not done the research that you've done right that oh my god this is going to happen to me 
and like you said right the fomo about i've missed the bus before i could decide you know it's kind yeah. of gone you know yeah yeah and it also comes to me because one of the most common responses you get uh, when you question uh, whether you want to be a mother or not is oh you're going to regret this you know it's just such, i don't know is it a response or a threat <laughs> it's mostly you know it's mostly threat i must tell you it's mostly with the intention of at least uh you know ensuring that you agree to their ways because there isn't any other way to convince you right because it's hypothetical it's hypothetical absolutely you have to do the duty you put on this earth to do and uh, to be a woman is to give birth is to propagate i mean why else are you here exactly Right. So, with this question of you know, um, do you do you want to have kids or not, and this decision, uh, the other thing that uh, I wanted to kind of talk about a little bit, and is basically not only that you're expected to have the children, you're expected to want to have the children, right? And like you said, there is a template around it. There is you know, uh, a lot of cross questioning. Oh, but why do you not want to have a kid, right? so have you ever experienced that you know your questions around whether or not you want to be a mother have been undermined in a way that they are said oh maybe she's just scared of pregnancy or labor or pain is that is something that you've experienced yes uh, but i think uh, the questions are not only limited to labor and labor pain they were they are almost always assuming that one i don't know better Two, I'm hundred percent going to change my mind. Three, I'm being selfish. I'm being short-sighted. I'm making the biggest mistake of my life. And uh, four, I'm told that we will be alone when we are uh, older. Who will take care of us? Uh, we will have nothing meaningful to do in my life. There is nothing uh, which will, uh, you know, our lives will be empty and hollow and. there are a lot of lot of uh, these comments that come our way uh and and to a certain extent we now i have had this uh sort of an arc or journey over the last 2 3 years where i was in a similar space with my friends some colleagues who who sort of joined in and echoed my sentiments of this kind of an ambiguity this kind of a uh you know sort of a worry about labor worry about whether or not we would like to be mothers uh, once we have this uh, have the child but increasingly and now at 33 uh, touching 34 i i am i'm i'm in the minority and i'm increasingly in a space where i'm losing comrades i'm i'm losing uh, people on this side of the table and uh, that's that's uh, unsettling that's worrying that's uh that's that's deeply internalized because uh the worst thing that when we can be in our lives is to be lonely and uh you know going through an experience we really can't share entirely with somebody we love right so increasingly i'm i'm like i said losing comrades from the side so uh those more than the questions are uh, are bigger challenges in my life because uh i have lived this journey over the last at least 2 3 years with friends colleagues and now slowly i am i i see myself standing alone in this in, in this decision and i think my conviction my clarity my uh resolve to uh take this decision my way is will need to be far more stronger going forward and i'm bracing myself to it and like you said you know uh, it's very difficult to differentiate between what you want and what you are conditioned to want mm. and thankfully i have reached a point in this in at this point in my life where i have support from authors access to stories of other women uh, people like you uh, you know other uh, uh, other uh, influencers authors thought leaders 
books and content and this blessing called the internet that i i hope that you know this the sense of uh, loneliness that i feel in my in my life uh, i i could loneliness only in the terms yeah. of uh, you know i i i often hate to sort of uh, you know be pictureized as this person who uh, and you know that's what happens with child free women because their lives are somehow uh, imagined to be uh, not worth aspiring for or not uh, fun to live and uh, people look at you with if not anger or questioning but with sympathy sometimes and that has not come my way but i can imagine if i'm a 40 year old child free woman uh, more than questioning sympathy will come my way mm-hmm. and that's why i find this pressure of you know living a kick ass awesome life and <laughs> uh and not for anybody else but simply because that's just what my life is i i have lived my life in the way that i had imagined i have reached career milestones that i always wanted to reach i have traveled to countries done things which have made myself proud and i i would hate for me to uh you know make a decision simply because i would not be a templatized version of an aspirational life because i think uh the life i'm living is uh, uh is fine so far and uh, i will have to constantly make it work for me uh, me and my husband both we will have to live this life as a couple uh, make this life our own make the choices uh but i know also for a fact that this decision is going to be harder on me compared to him of course we make this decision together but i know for a fact that this will bear upon me much more than it will bear upon him uh we are in a similar mental space right now we are together in this journey and whatever we eventually decide will be as a collective as a unit uh, as partners but i'm sure the regrets that we have uh they will bear upon me a little more uh but i guess that's okay is uh, i i guess uh, we'll get there we get there that's that's so that's so profound i was really kind of thinking about uh, the feeling of you know uh, missing people from your side and passing on uh, to the other yeah. uh, that was a very visual moment for me uh, i think there's also a lot of uh, and that's the point of this entire uh, conversation right there's a lot missing from the public discourse about what are the reasons to be child free or to be voluntarily child free and it's not like you said pity right or sympathy right that's because we don't have these narratives or alternative options of you know what is your life if the template says uh, after you get a job you get married you have a kid right and that is what is said to be meaning and you know so on you're doing your duty to your family to your society etc and specifically for a woman it's there's something very threatening about a woman who doesn't have a child to care for yeah. you know yeah like oh my god what is she going to do with her life yeah exactly right yeah. <laughs> and here we quote you mentioned a little bit about how this is going to be different for you and how it's going to be different for your husband but i'm also wondering do you sense that this affects the way you're viewed at work a little bit or since you do a lot and both the spheres not only just your corporate job but also uh, with the research you've been doing and the work book you've been writing uh, have you experienced this come in in any way um i personally have not but i like i said uh, i have been lucky enough and incredibly privileged to have worked in an organization but i'm not blind or ignorant of this phenomena where uh, a certain aged women uh, are uh, uh, you know looked at as a slightly less viable candidate in job interviews uh, i'm not ignorant to the phenomena where uh, mo- mothers coming back to work after their leave find it extremely difficult to uh, uh, you know live up to the expectations and also feel the kind of pressure to uh you know uh, make people understand that they are committed to the job because suddenly you are 
lesser of a committed uh, uh, professional just because you now have a child to take care of and that never happens for a guy a man um yeah i'm not ignorant to this this is very wide scale it's very widespread uh, i have heard stories i know women personally i know women professionally i have known women through my research who have faced this it's incredibly difficult to come back to work and uh, you know it's like before pregnancy and after pregnancy and before uh, having a child and after having a child your work and your team camaraderie how you're viewed at work fundamentally changes for most women i know and i've heard from uh, and uh, notwithstanding the fact that it actually gets very difficult given the complete absence in most cases of uh, accessible child care accessible creches accessible policies for women to uh, actually uh, be able to uh, you know take on this both of these demanding roles uh, it becomes very very difficult for women because you know whatever said and done uh, the 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 family side the intimate side the the relationships and the relatives and the expectation at home is that the woman would be the primary caregiver and unless that changes no amount of corporate policies no amount of creches can actually help because you are expected to take a day off if your child is not doing well uh, you are expected to let that work travel go let that promotion go if you have a child that that is just expected and even if it's not expected you know it's a huge uh, it's a very difficult choice for most women i must say and uh, i really don't know how corporates can make it easier unless the culture makes it easier the families make it easier because whatever we can do between the 8 hours and in offices and we must do whatever we can but unless uh, you know it becomes uh, you know a point of gossip in neighborhood communities where uh, if a family is uh, disallowing a woman to work after having a child if that become if unless that becomes a gossip point and if that becomes a point of ridic- ridicule that hey this is this is not done and if community if unless you know men actually uh, uh, find it socially acceptable to uh, possibly uh, you know take a break from their offices or their roles uh, to take up full time parenting unless those are culturally accepted unless the culture changes uh, i i really don't think the corporate policies are going to do much at least from what i have seen uh, but it's a, it's a real and tremendous and extremely widespread problem and it breaks my heart because all my life i had a template of a successful professional right and i'm chasing those career milestones and uh, i i feel like it will be extremely difficult for me if i choose at any point in the in my life to have a baby because it's it's going to be double the work it's going to be double the responsibility it's going to be extremely difficult uh and i know that for a fact it's 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 going to be one of it it is going to be a huge sacrifice uh, whether or not i like it yeah absolutely Okay. Relate to that very, very personally. Uh, after I had my son and I had to get back to work, um, I think the first three days, every day after I got back home, I wept like it was sheer yeah. breakdown and crying. Uh, and of course, there's hormones. Let's not <laughs> discount the hormones. Yeah, it's yeah. also a lot of pressure. Okay, so for all of this time, you now had to do uh, your job. your actual job you have to do the responsibility once you're married you play the role of a daughter-in-law you play the role of a wife and there's constant scrutiny on how well you're doing it right and everything is scrutinized and now to all of that you have this added pressure of you know are you a good enough mother you know and uh, again a lot of guilt around having health you know either you can't afford it if you can afford it there's a lot of guilt around it you know how much is it is it excessive so absolutely and you know uh, this kind of also brings me to this whole question because like you were saying this is one thing you're considering and uh, one part of this entire thing a powerful word that we don't like to use uh, in the same sentence as mothers is regret right and um, have you in your research come across mothers who have admitted to regret have you witnessed that uh, or somewhere in your personal life have you ever observed that i don't think at least 
what I have seen that women, mothers find it extremely difficult to put their emotions into that word of regret. Because what would you do with that? Uh, it's an irreversible permanent decision in your life. Uh, and it's also uh, in many ways, from what I've heard, a fulfilling journey. There are positives. There are uh, extremely meaningful, emotional, uh, uh, you know, times you spend with your child, and I'm I'm sure this is a this is a decision most women enjoy or like on most days. But there are days when they don't like it as much. But I don't think there is enough space for them to articulate that and express that, uh, express that publicly. Uh, they don't have the words. They don't feel that they're allowed to use this word of regret at all. I I have hardly met any woman who has a mother who has told me that hey you know what you should never have a baby I regret it I have never I have never found a single woman who has said that they will always tell me that hey you know there are good days the best I have had is hey there are good days there are bad days Uh, but you know the good uh, outshine the bad that's that's the most I have been able to reach but most other women are like it's the most glorious experience uh, it's the uh, it's the best decision of my life, and I have mostly had that. But uh, but I've seen those in their eyes. I have seen those when they say that you know I there, there's a woman who told me that you know what I fell ill. I had dengue for four days, and and I was in the hospital. And those four days were the most restful, peaceful, enjoyable days of my life because I finally got a break after two years uh, because I have twins and I have a toddler and I can't imagine somebody <laughs> telling me about their time at the hospital suffering from dengue, taking platelet uh, uh, you know, infusions to describe that time as possibly the most peaceful in their last two years. But yet they will tell you that, hey, you know what? I look at my baby and everything changes. So uh, I, I I would say the stated words are always that. And I, I think this is, not, this is not wrong. This is not a lie. This is not a pretense. It is a mixed bag. Eventually, at the end of the day, I fully believe that it is uh, meaningful to care for another human being, to, uh, you know, unselfishly love someone it's the most divine thing and that unlocks a very very powerful side of you i really believe that that and it's not just your baby you know for a pet for a parent for a spouse if you love someone very very deeply i think that that's the most divine human uh experience and i truly believe that mothers do that but i very strongly feel that there is not enough narrative or not not enough space around women are struggling with motherhood because they are they are struggling let's be honest they are struggling there are unreported postpartum depression there is widespread postpartum depression even at a reported level uh, but uh, women shy away from reaching out confessing connecting uh, asking for help uh, they follow this uh, they follow this uh, unachievable standard of perfect motherhood and uh, kill themselves while doing it uh so yeah i think we need more of that we need uh judgment free open spaces for women to connect mothers to connect and really cut the bullshit and accept that this is the toughest role that we'll take on in our lives and we we better be uh you know okay to be real about it you know and cut the mother india iconography <laughs> this these this pedestalized notion of being perfect mothers because we all are struggling and uh, connecting uh, with our realness is the only way out. Right. And it's the only way to be better mothers, right? Asking for help when you need it. Unless you can say it out, you won't ask for it and, you know, you won't get the help that you need. That's the entire point of having these narratives and even the space to say that, you know, this is hard, right? Or this is, you know, something I cannot do at this point. So absolutely. Um, I think I'm, I'm coming towards the end of my questions with you and I'm feeling uh, sad about that because it's kind of, you know, just getting to know so much about the side of you. Um, I think we started by talking about your mom and I think I would like to end with that because that's a lot of where we learn from, right? And like you said, you had a mother who had probably, was all about 
the children and the giving you know and again there's a lot written about how as women we are trained to have a larger relational self and less of you know an individual self we are our worth is seen in terms of the relationships we have and what we offer in those relationships but have you now after this journey after this long journey you've been on with 100 women and you know everything that came after that have you wished that have you wished a different outcome for your mom and a different kind of motherhood experience for your mom and if you did what would you envision that to be you know i do wish that uh, she would have lived her life differently but you know what i wish for more because i while i saw my mother i spent most of my childhood with my mom i grew up wanting to be like my father and i have met so many women and young girls who spend a lot of time with their mothers but the mothers show them the template of their fathers to aspire for because there is something very fundamentally disadvantaged in the role of the mother right she is in the background she is in the kitchen all the social connections the hype the authority power all the cool awesome things the dads do the fathers do so uh i wish that uh i had i had you know uh, gotten to know uh, my mom's aspirations and my mom's side a little more because i i i don't think that uh, she didn't have an identity of her own she very much had her own job she had she pursued her hobbies uh, in in whatever little ways that she could but i wish that uh, in in all through my young age or my teenage age it is I didn't solely want to chase the template of my father. I could possibly look back and notice and observe my mother a little more. Uh, I could, uh, you know, understand her journey. Uh, there is something extremely meaningful and fulfilling about caregiving and parenting. I wish that I knew and observed that because right now, uh, at this age. Uh, after spending 30 years of wanting to be like my father the society expects me to be like my mother and i really feel like i i i saw her from the outside but i really did not quite understand her growing up i couldn't quite connect with her and didn't learn uh, her ways i i i didn't i i i still feel that i uh, i i didn't i i think i don't know her enough uh, her motherhood journey uh so i would have wished to do that i wish that i just simply didn't look starry eyed towards my father's journey and just had that one simple singular template of success in life because i think all of us would live a much richer fulfilled life if we can all have a mix of those feminine and masculine ambitions and templates right in our life i had learned only one singular template right. so i wish i did I think I think it's so true. Two things that I want to take from from what you're saying, you know, as we also come towards the end of this discussion. One is that uh, how we wish there were more stories, more motherhood stories. You know, there is the the performance side of it, and then there's the background side of it, and we know literally next to nothing about the background and what goes into it. Yeah. Absolutely, and I think that's also kind of the reason why we are having the, these discussions and trying to bring more of those narratives uh, into you know the discourse. and the second thing is about having a fulfilled life right and i i think for that uh, both for your mom and for you uh, you know it's such a radical act right that is to have a fulfilled life right and even to have a fulfilled life that doesn't follow the traditional paths right that's the entire point of it and you know also discussing all of this about making the choice and you know the pressure around it i think more than the choice is about how you go about making that choice right is it coming from your inmost self or is it coming to you as obligation or responsibility or something that's just given to you in your hands right this process of examining questioning you know having these discussions which you do so beautifully and you kind of shared uh, your journey with us which is so much more important than what you finally choose i think that's for that thank you so much for uh, this bit this glimpse into your life and uh, yeah i'm so glad we had this conversation thank you so much for being here got me thinking deeper about my choices my life and, uh i hope that the listeners actually find some value and if not value some solidarity <laughs> and a fellow confused ambiguous 33 year old and some solidarity in her experience i hope they find that absolutely thank you so much amrita have a lovely evening thank you thank you veena thank you for having me